This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 98. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Yo, hello. Um, if you're wondering what a good violation is, I'm going to keep you in the dark for just a little bit longer. Here's a clue. Um, those of you who have been loyal listeners from way back might know, or those of you who just go back and listen to everything, uh, mightn't have heard the episode with Terrace Joyce that I did about this very same topic, but obviously I'm going to cover a lot of different things today. I feel it's one of the most underrated issues in positive psychology and I felt that I needed to dive deeper into this particular issue before we hit the milestone of 100 episodes. In the past, uh, psychologists focused way more on the negative than on the positive aspects of humor, our topic today. They were preoccupied with questions such as, when is humor perceived as hurtful? Or when is it a sign of some underlying psychological issue? And compared to other character strength, strengths, uh, Humor research is still underrepresented because a lot of uh, scientists want to be really serious and they want people to take them very seriously. So, so they're not really willing to, to de- dig deep into the topic of humor. So what is funny and why? Uh, there is no humor in heaven, according to Mark Twain. Why could that be correct? Well... Warren and McGraw, two researchers on whose work I'm going to build on today. So almost everything here today comes from the research of these two fellows. Uh, They came up with a so-called benevolent violation theory. So if they are right with them, their hypothesis basically what they're saying is that the reason that there's no raucous laughter in heaven Uh, is that there are no violations to begin with, benevolent or otherwise. But what kind of violations are we talking about? Well, a violation happens when we overstep a rule or a norm. And of course, there are different norms and rules to overstep. So there are physical norms. So for example, we are used to a specific distance. We are used to making sure that people don't trip us up. And if people just trip us up... uh, It's not funny unless you're kind of a jerk, right? Um, It is or it can be funny if you catch the person and make sure that they don't fall and they perceive it as as a as an act of, you know, of an as a nice act. It's not something that they feel like you are, I don't know, sexually harassing them or anything like that. So it's more like a lighthearted act to begin with, and that's why it's a benevolent act. Then there are social norms, cultural norms, linguistic norms, moral norms, and logic norms. So anything that goes against logic or how we use language in general, that's the harmless violations on which humor is built on. We register 
the violation and the harmlessness at the same time. And that is key, right? So so if somebody trips in a really, really stupid way um, or does something really stupid, like <laughs> I, I kind of have this slapstick image in front of me of a classmate of mine when we, you know, the school bell rang and then we all kind of walked into the room and she just somehow... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I live in Switzerland and people like to clean stuff, uh, you know, in a really good way. And she just walked into this glass door somehow not realizing that it's not thin air. And and I mean, I remember that facial expression because I really saw how her face was compressed against the door. And but but then the first moment you're horrified because, you know, she could have broken her nose. And once you kind of establish that she's fine everybody bursts out laughing and that's kind of what humor is about it's not necessarily always about a a nasty thing like that it's not necessarily other people's misfortunes right so you can intentionally for example do wordplay or play on logic or um, do something unexpected and that is at the same time kind of harmless or okay and that's uh, what they are talking about uh, Warren and McGraw so This theory explains why people who conform too much are often not funny. And the reason is, it's simple. There is no violation. If if you're a very, uh, you know, straight up person and always serious and stuff, you don't violate any norms. You always do everything exactly the way people expect you to do so. Then there's no humor in that. Folks who are psychotic on the other end are not funny either because they violate things plenty, but it's not harmless. People people suffer, um, either themselves or other people suffer from those violations, and that's why it's not funny at all. So there's a different approach that explains why something is funny, and it doesn't come from a research, but I do feel that um, the Dilbert inventor Scott Adams Uh, knows just as much, if not more, about humor than any psychologist possibly could. Now, I have to say that I personally hate Dilbert. (laughs) And the reason is that I work in an office. I don't want to deal with that stuff when I'm outside. When I'm outside, it's goodbye. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to see those situations played out in a comic strip, right? But but other people feel good about recognizing themselves. Now, now what I do like about Scott Adams is that he has really come up with um, these six things that make something funny. And I feel that his his way of looking at it is extremely simple. He basically says, look, there are these six different categories of funny. And if you cover two or more of them, you're good, right? So what are the categories he mentions? He says there's clever humor, cute, bizarre, cruel, naughty, and recognizable humor, right? So if it's just recognizable, like I stepped out of the plane and then there in Bangkok, I saw a Subway sandwich store. That's not funny, right? It's recognizable, but it's not funny. Why? We're only covering one of the six categories, right? But if I insert something else in it, right? Um, for example, I stepped out of the airport and then I saw a Subway sandwich store that was sandwiched between 
a sand store and a place for where you can get witch supplies, that would kind of be like, you already, I mean, you don't have to think this is the best joke ever, but at least you kind of have a shot at a giggle, especially if you're a stand-up comedian who can phrase it in a different way than I just did, because I did not, this was not on my script, I, I went off script, and then suddenly I'm like, oh my god, I had to, I had to stop the tape for, for a few seconds to think about what would be bizarre or kind of cute, and and that would be that, right? If you have a sandwich store between a sand and a witch store, that would be kind of funny, right? So um, that's what they say. So if you think about these categories, clever, cute, bizarre, cruel, naughty, and recognizable, what are the things that you like? What's the kind of humor that you enjoy? Uh, For me, I like everything that's not cruel. Uh, I don't want to say that the cruel humor does never, ever appeal to me, but I do my best to really not pay a lot of attention to that part of myself because it doesn't help me with my other goals, let's put it that way. So once you know what you like, it's easier to seek it out, as with always in psychology, right? You, If you're a long-time listener, you might think you might get sick of hearing this, but this is what it's all about, right? That's what awareness is about. Once we know what we're looking for, we we can find it. We don't go, as somebody famously said, and I don't know who that famous person was, but, oh, wait, I do know. I think it's all right. So in Orange is the New Black, uh, going off on a tangent here, um, is based on a real story by a woman called Pam Kernan, if I recall correctly. And someone who lived with her in her cell, I don't remember that woman's name, but she said something to like, you don't go and buy bread in the hardware store. Something like that, right? So so that's kind of uh, what it is about. Once you know what you're looking for, you're not going to stumble into a bakery looking for hardware or vice versa. So when we, we just talked about what we find funny, right? So we had two different things, the, the, the theory by Scott Adams and the, and the more scientific theory of uh, Warren and McGraw. So what tells us, how funny we find something precisely. Now, humor comes from unusual behavior, but this is not without risk. There is a golden mean between boredom and callous humor that freaks everyone out. People who don't touch on taboo subjects are usually perceived as being boring and therefore not funny. If, on the other hand, someone overdoes the taboos, it's not funny either. It's kind of troubling, right? You want to either give them a hug and a hanky or you want to, you know, make sure that they're admitted to the hospital or something. So the funniest stories are just a little bit taboo, but just a little bit, just enough that it's somehow still okay. Now, the reason why we can laugh about things which can be actually really tragic is that the distance makes it okay, right? So people, sometimes if you listen to storytelling podcasts or something like that, um, they might get um, a laugh or two out of something that's really actually kind of horrific. But the reason why it's kind of okay and harmless is that they are obviously well enough to have thought about it. They were probably treated for whatever happened. Um, Hopefully they have processed it. And now 
they are good, you know, they feel good enough to be able to step on stage and deliver that. And that would not be the case if, you know, somebody is suffering from something right now or it happened uh, three days ago, then there is no distance and no time for humor. It's just, it just doesn't work. Whether something is funny or not also depends on how much we care about the norms that are violated. So, for example, uh, people who don't go to church think that church jokes are hilarious. Uh, religious people, on the other hand, are more likely to disagree. Uh, men who score high on sexism think that misogynist jokes are funny, whereas, you know, other people might disagree a little bit more. The best bang for our well-being buck comes from combining humor with other character strengths. And that's what they found actually uh, in the research lab here in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, where they look at humor, where they said, like, actually, the best effects for our well-being is if we com uh, combine humor with character strengths, such as social intelligence or kindness or forgiveness, um, then we really, really benefit from it. Sarcasm, for example, can be hilarious, but because it usually comes at somebody else's cost, it's not a very sustainable humor strategy. You know, people might be intimidated by, by you. They might rightly think that if you're cutting somebody with your sarcasm in front of them, there is a very real chance that maybe if they're not sitting there, you're going to cut them, or even if they are there, that you're going to pounce on them. And that's why sarcasm and, and cynicism and those kind of stabs at humor, you know, I think they can, they can get an easy laugh because they are a little bit taboo and, and people um, kind of might like, some people might like if somebody is attacked. But in the long term, it's not really the kind of humor that helps you lead a healthy life. Uh, sarcasm has a way of clouding out other things such as hope or optimism. And and if that's the case, it's more a symbol of, of maybe, you know, you're not that okay. Maybe sarcasm is more of a coping strategy and, and, and less something, an expression of joy in life and lightheartedness. Um, or even, you know, humor can be a coping strategy in a good way without necessarily being nasty and cutting other people down and and you know what I think that's also true for people who who you might wish that they you know um, should be cut down maybe you think somebody has too much power and you're you're happy for the comedians who are actually um, having a go at them and obviously it's kind of better if you're having a go at someone who's has a lot of power than somebody who has none but I think in the long term, what it does is that it really creates a kind of environment which makes it hard to trust people. And I think no matter what uh, psychology topic I'm thinking about, no matter what I'm doing, I always kind of measure things up to what's the impact on trust, right? And there is humor that makes other people trust you more. You know, when they when they know that that you're there and you can you can actually build them up. Uh, because you kind of crack jokes which make them laugh and feel good about themselves and the world, uh, then that's, you know, a good thing, right? But if if you're sarcastic all the time and if it's like somebody is kind of getting hurt and, and you know, maybe you think these people deserve it, but in the end what it does is it creates a climate 
that is where it's very hard to find solutions and improve things in any way whatsoever. So why is humor good for us? Um, spreading positive emotions leads to all kinds of benefits and, and humor is actually a prime way that researchers use to measure the impact of positive emotions. So if you go to a research lab and people want to make you feel good, chances are they'll either show you images of puppies or let you maybe even touch a puppy or they will show you something that a lot of people consider funny. Um, such as sitcom excerpts or comic strips or something along those lines. So positive emotions that are created through the use of humor uh, lead to better health, more satisfaction in family life, friendships and with our hobbies, more self-confidence, uh, an increased sense of control and optimism, better conversations, we spend more time helping others, we are less selfish, we even get better supervisor ratings. Uh, although here obviously depends what kind of humor you have. Um, if you kind of use your humor as a way to uh, be subversive, which I don't necessarily think is always a bad thing, right? Sometimes something has to be challenged that's not working well. But um, if you do that, that might mean that your supervisor ratings might not be that great. Who knows? Uh, then there are more. There is more likelihood for creative uh, exploration. There's a reduction in anxiety, depression, and pain. People consume less cigarettes, less alcohol. They pursue more healthy activities. Um, they cope differently and better with difficult situations uh, and daily frustrations. And we are more open in general for what life has to offer. We try stuff when we play without worrying too much about failure. We handle trauma better and laughter can even help us heal from really serious things such as bereavement. Now, someone who can laugh about the person who died is more likely to heal better and faster than somebody who cannot. Uh, what is important though as always, is that this is authentic and we cannot expect other people uh, to joke around when somebody died. You know, it, it has to come from them in an organic and natural way and, and telling them things, you know, when you just lost somebody and then you're like, oh, hey, by the way, if you can laugh about them, you'll heal faster. Like, that's not helpful at all. This is the kind of information you want to share when people are doing all right and when they're fine and, you know, if we're lucky, we'll remember it when we have to. Authenticity and vulnerability is also a very interesting topic because it's so tightly linked uh, to, to humor. Um, people who feel more free, and you kind of need a certain freedom to crack jokes, right? So if you don't have the freedom to crack jokes, and I'm not talking about super offensive um, jokes which put other people down, I mean in general, um, there there is a big problem with that. And I, I heard something, I, I wish I had the reference for it, but I, I still want you to hear it, um, that apparently in the, in, in the 90s, right before they had the horrific, horrific um, war and massacres in Yugoslavia, that they kind of stopped joking with each other 
and even about each other, right? So before they had like these good nurture, um, natured, like, you know, how like most countries make fun of their neighbors, right? But, but it's not in a horrific way, right? It's just, it's just something that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not nasty. I don't, I don't, as I said, I don't like the nasty humor, but like sometimes you say, you make a joke about your neighbor, they make a joke about you and that's fine. Like I'm not offended if people, um, comment on you know like that Swiss people are supposed to be punctual if I'm not punctual or something like that's fine you know like have a laugh cool good for you apparently before the war broke out that was the pretty much one of the first indicators that something was really wrong was when people who used to be able to joke and laugh with each other just couldn't do that anymore so yeah that's something to think about because it has some applicability in some other places and uh I think you can figure out what I'm talking about. Something like improv comedy or playing in general also has a lot to do with vulnerability and authenticity. And I really like that because I think these are big topics. People are waking up to this idea that that maybe putting on a mask all day long and kind of suppressing and forgetting what we really want and who we really are is destructive and and I think humor is a really good way to to kind of you know express our lighter side because it's so it's so easy just to be sucked into your daily life and everything and and humor is important it just makes things so much easier if you can have a good laugh you know the kind where you kind of just roll off the couch or, or, or just can't stop, um, that, that's just, it's so good for you. And f- even physically, it's like a freaking ab workout. I had it the other day. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, wait, I, I actually do remember, but it's too gross even for me, uh, to mention on this podcast. So never mind. Um, another aspect of vulnerability and authenticity in relation to humor is that People love watching clumsy comedians. And one of the reasons is that it's reassuring to see other people act out our own insecurities. Because in our head, we kind of know that we're probably not the only person in the entire wide world who feels that way. But when we feel bad or insecure, people and things just it doesn't sink down beyond our brain. Like, yes, in our brain, we know that other people feel that way, uh, might even feel that way right now, but our heart is not convinced that we're not alone in this. And seeing a comedian act out the weirdness that we feel inside, that is really reassuring. People who learn, you know, who learn to, who, for example, take um, comedy classes and things like that, they really uh, need to take a deep dive and understand their own vulnerability to unearth their best jokes. And that's super interesting. Um, understanding what we and others find funny requires a radical kind of honesty that is also helpful in deepening our authenticity. You know, sometimes we can say things in jest that, that or they just come out as a um, in a way that they wouldn't um, because we have left our, let our guard down a bit. Humor also influences how other people see us. Um, funny people as, are seen as being more desirable, intelligent, friendly, imaginative, charming, uh, more emotionally stable, 
more effective communicators and more and people are more likely to engage with the content of what they're talking about and this is also true for advertising so we are way more likely to consider an ad that's funny than just uh you know stare at an, at an ad that's not funny at all here are some other scientific findings uh about humor and playfulness. So a funny person is someone who has the ability to make others laugh or to, and or perceive the funny things in life. An audience is more likely to see a storyteller as mentally unstable if they tell a funny story. And this is weird because on the one hand, if we ask people like, hey, um, what do you think of funny people? As I said before, they are perceived as being emotionally stable. But that's apparently when you just ask people, hey, what do you think of funny people? But if you're actually in an audience watching a funny person and they're telling a, you know, a somewhat disturbing story, but that is also hilarious, um, people think they are crazy. And the important, or no, important, the interesting thing is that's even true when they tell two different stories, one that's maybe a little bit more funny and one that's just interesting. People still think, oh, that person is crazy. The more taboo a story is, the more likely it is that the audience assumes that the person has some kind of problem or even mental health problem. However, people perceive stories which are more taboo as more funny. We discussed the limits of that before, right? So this is kind of this weird thing that if somebody can really truly make you laugh, you might think they are crazy. And it seems that the audience is not able to kind of consider the idea that people don't necessarily always act the way they act on stage. It's also interesting because people probably focus people especially people who focus on this idea that oh my god that storyteller is insane uh what they do is kind of they make sure that they don't feel insane themselves so it's one of these uh protective mechanisms defense mechanisms that a lot of people in the audience uh kind of look at that person and they're like oh whoa i'm a, i'm good i'm good because i'm not as insane as this guy here or girl and um, that is kind of interesting to point out, just so that you know. The flaw with this is, of course, that there are some people who are not very troubled at all. Some beloved comedians have had perfectly normal childhoods and nothing traumatic happen to them. So if you're one of the people who thinks that everybody who can really, really make you, you know, pee your pants that they are insane, well, maybe have a look and um, think about it, whether that's true or not, um, or even whether it's for you to judge or not. So the research has also found that some funny people also have downsides. Now, obviously, this is a positive psychology podcast, but I want to give you the whole picture. So they found that they sometimes have a lower sense of conscientiousness and unsurprisingly, engage in sometimes inappropriate behavior. The study also cites that funny people are interestingly less extroverted, but I don't know. I mean, 
as an introvert, I, I, I find it a bit weird that that's seen as a downside. Um, I don't know. I think I think we should move beyond this idea that like extroverted people are the cool thing or the great thing and everybody else is uh, not okay. That's not true. If the whole world would be talking all day long, well, just look to the internet to see what happens when that's the case. Some pretty dated studies also found correlations with increased risky behaviors and even a lower life expectancy of funny people. Well, I don't think that studies should be discounted based on their age. I do think it's it's noteworthy to point out that these studies were carried out in a time when humor was seen as something much more troubling than it is now. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, people really kind of looked at the bad implications of humor, and, and unsurprisingly, if that's what we're looking for, that's what we'll find. So I'm not saying that humor doesn't have bad effects. It can. It definitely does. I addressed um, cynicism and sarcasm, for example. But I do think that, you know, the risky behaviors, for example, I'm, I'm not sure, especially if you think about it from the character strengths point of view, right? So we talked at the beginning of the episode that, um, that the best way to use humor is in conjunction with other character strengths. So I would imagine that people who have, for example, prudence um, pretty high up the list uh, are not going to engage in risky behaviors just because they are funny people, because another part of them will keep them from doing it. However, obviously, they have less problems and are maybe a little bit more likely to uh, violate norms because that's where humor comes from, right? So, so yeah, I think that's what they found about the downsides of humor. And just for me... Um, you know, even if these things were true, I would rather have a slightly shorter life uh, that is filled with laughter than, you know, a very long life without it. But that's just me. Humorous complaining. Now, to complain is fairly widespread and seems even an important part of being human. Complaining serves different functions. And you might be surprised to hear that. Uh, because we often talk about the downsides of complaining, but let's start um, with saying that it's a way to actually initiate small talk. People bond over complaining. It's a way to let off steam, to show ourselves in a good light, right? So, so for example, oh, I can. The the first thing that comes to mind is when when Fifty Shades of Grey was popular, right? Then then a good way to show that you are very a sophisticated human who treasures the the written word one way to do that was to mock how badly it was written um because that shows that you are that you are more sophisticated right so that's kind of uh what i mean by saying that we show ourselves in a good light um to influence others and prevent them from having similarly bad experiences uh to get sympathy to solicit moral support uh, or to get some kind of compensation. And considering the many functions and benefits that complaining has, people sometimes pretend to be unhappy when actually they're quite satisfied. I don't know, is that the case in your life? If you're not sure, maybe you want to give it a try, maybe when people are just complaining, kind of observe them, uh, what they do and what they their actions, and then you can determine whether they are just 
you know, just complaining to get some sympathy, for example, or if they're actually quite doing all right. Of course, complaining can also suck. Uh, people who frequently complain are seen as negative, killjoys, argumentative, or and or boring. Humorous complaining can help op- offset these downsides while still achieving at least some of the goals of complaining. Uh, people who complain like that are seen as funny instead of negative. Uh, humorous complaining can also take off the edge, diffuse a situation, and show that it's actually okay, even if something went wrong. It's important, however, to note that praise delivered with a funny slant is counterproductive, as it's not taken seriously, and people just think it's less true as well, right? So you want to make sure that you don't kind of have a lighthearted or funny tone when you deliver a compliment. When do humorous complaints backfire? Uh, People are less likely to be compensated uh, to set things right uh, because, remember the the harmless part, the the part in the benevolent uh, violation theory, which says that you have to perceive the violation and the harmlessness at the same time. So people perceive the harmlessness and think like, oh, you're just saying you want a conversation, but you're maybe just exaggerating. So if you want compensation, don't joke about it. Um, It's seen as less urgent. So if you want people to act pronto, just drop the humor. Folks are also less likely to follow advice that was given in a funny way. And um, immoral behavior is less likely to be perceived as troubling if the messaging around it is seen as humorous. Now, depending on who you are and who you influence, this is important to you or not so much. People are less likely to offer sympathy. And to me personally, that's actually an upside because if I bother to tell you about my troubles, there is an incredibly low likelihood that I need you to be like, oh, I'm sorry about that. Like if I actually talk about something, I've processed it. So I don't really... I'm not a fan of sympathy. I like compassion. Sympathy is not the same thing. Sympathy is kind of like a weird... It's like, yes, you feel bad for someone, but you're also kind of really super relieved that you're not them. So I don't like sympathy very much. I prefer compassion, uh, but I'm not even looking for that when I share most of the things that I talk about. So Paul McGee, another researcher, has looked into the idea of developing humor habits. Uh, the first one is to learn to understand your humor style. What do you find funny? Who do you find funny? What kind of humor is your cup of tea? Where are you most likely to find that humor? Uh, As always, the more self-aware we are, the more likely we are to have more laughter in our life. And McGee suggests that you kind of journal through this process. So you don't just think about these things and then forget about them, but actually write it down if you're so inclined. Uh, Number two is to cultivate a playful attitude. And I'm not sure if it's a global thing, but in my country, the Boy Scouts motto is to be perpetually ready. And they're they're really always ready um, to take action. And I think that's kind of a good way to think about humor. I think there are actually not that many situations that have zero potential for humor. Um, Actually, especially the situations which we don't think are funny, uh, 
where there's a lot of tension, people might actually be even more grateful if we can relieve some of that tension. We don't even have to think think about funny things to say. Um, our voices, facial expressions, and body language can do can actually transport a lot of humor, and and that's something that I I've I remember enjoying facial expressions, for example, for a very long time, but only recently have I really kind of started to enjoy the funny or hilarious body language. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if I if I appreciated it before, but unconsciously maybe. But now, only in the last couple of months probably, have I really uh, paid more attention to that because I started watching uh, Michael McIntyre's videos sometimes and, and he, a lot of his humor is actually how he moves his body. So yeah, um, kids are super Boy Scout ready to fool around all the time. And when I, when you know, when a kid stares at me, I usually pull some kind of face or like just elevate my eyebrow or something and invite them to kind of have a little bit of fun, right? So some of them are scared to interact with strangers, so they look away and that's fine, I respect that. Uh, but others are, are game. And uh, this can lead to ridiculous contests, which I have in trams and buses here in Zurich. Uh, which only end once I or the kid has to get out. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite funny. And also, the the parents are usually, if unless they're paranoid, uh, but if they're paranoid, then usually their kids are paranoid too. But if they're not, they, they're usually proud of their kid. They love the fact that you're giving their kid a little bit of attention and appreciation. So so yeah, I think that that can be done in a, in a non-creepy way uh, and, and can just lighten your day in a really nice way. You can even pull this off with animals. Uh, might sound weird, but it's actually possible. Um, sometimes when I see a couple of birds, I'll just beep back. And uh, sometimes I mess with a couple of crows, you know, when I see them. And I'll just go like, caw, 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 and just see what, what they do. And and yeah, that's that, that can be funny. Um, uh, if something weird happens to me, or if I say something really stupid, I, you know, I... I make a point to kind of share that with other people. Uh, sometimes people make a little mistake or or ask weird questions which make no sense. Uh, just the other day I was volunteering at the zoo when a woman asked me if we still see two tigers, although one of them died a year ago. And the logical and correct answer was that another tiger was staying and that's why we have two. But I just turned to her and said, like, we see dead tigers. And uh, if you're not old enough to get that joke, <laughs> it's from the movie The Sixth Sense. Um, yeah, so I winked and smiled at her, and I'm not sure. Like, it was it was really weird. Sometimes people ask you things, and but I love those bizarre moments. I'm not, I just, I just think they're fun, and, and like, I think with our facial expression, we can do a lot to make sure that people don't think we're making fun of them, but that we're laughing with them. That's a, that's an important uh, difference. So, coming back to the humor habits, uh, laugh more and more heartily. 
we often tone ourselves down to be polite. And that's something of the first things that we also teach our children, you know, especially here in Switzerland, you always hear like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And everybody is so calm. And, you know, yes, I mean, obviously there's room for that. And, you know, I can't lie and pretend that I don't like calm. I like my quiet. I like my peace. I like the fact that often in the evenings, uh, the tram is pretty quiet, especially when everybody's coming down uh, back from work and and we're just chilling and uh, you know recharging so i love that silence don't get me wrong but i also kind of think it's sad if everybody's acting like a zombie so yeah every once in a while people should laugh more and heartily and i think who's really good at that is uh you know our teenagers they are <laughs> they they can be raucous and and I, i take a lot of joy when i hear them the next habit is to create humor by telling jokes and stories and uh, I'm less of a joke person but I love stories so when I did or said something stupid or weird I'll make sure that people hear about it and I think it requires a certain way of not taking ourselves too seriously very often when we're afraid of how other people will react we're actually terrified that um you know they don't think we're as awesome as they thought before we would be think about it it makes no sense so most people like a little weird story a little a little fun story and it self-deprecation can be um done in a nice way it doesn't have to be done in a way where you actually um put yourself down we can exaggerate what happened. We can use the rule of three. So the rule of three is basically that when you, that you, for example, use three examples or three people. A lot of times when you jokes start like a priest, a rabbi, and um, a, a monk walked into a bar, right? It's not a coincidence that it's three. For some reason, uh, I have no idea why, but for some reason, apparently three is funny. And comedians actually use that rule of three. You can vary your voice. It doesn't all have to sound exactly the same way. Uh, you can use facial expressions and you can support what you're saying with body language. And again, a lot of times, especially if we live in a country which does not emotionally or bodily express themselves too much, it's funny. I live in Switzerland and, and we keep our gestures very much to ourselves. And then you just drive south for two hours and you're in Italy and everything is gesture. And um, I think we can learn a little bit from them just to make things a little bit funnier. Even things that are not hilarious to begin with can be funny if we use body language and facial expression and all of that to to tell the story i remember a time when i did these things incredibly sparingly and this changed when i worked with my friend uh ruthie daring to laugh out loud in public use body language and sometimes exaggerate things felt liberating to me and to this day i enjoy the freedom of doing these things and that doesn't mean that I have to, you know, have everybody's attention on me all the time. Not at all. I love my silence, love my anonymity. But if you can, in certain select situations, let go of that fear of, oh my god, everybody's looking at me, you'll have more fun in your life. I can guarantee that. Find everyday humor. That's the next humor habit. So greetings, both in person and on the phone, are actually great time to signal that we are up for some tomfoolery 
um, I work with an IT guy and we've known each other for 10 years. And sometimes when he calls me, I just pick up the phone and yell like, Figgy Pop, <laughs> which is a word play on his name. And um, he usually responds in a very, in a deliberately bored and toned down voice with, what did you smoke today? Or something along those lines. And, and it kind of just injects a nice energy and it kind of, Puts this, it weirdly puts some perspective on what we're trying to do because very often when you're at the office, it's very easy to get sucked into like, this is the most important thing right now. And if it doesn't get solved, um, everything will be tragic. And and inserting a little bit of humor also gives perspective, you know, and it's, and it's good for the relationship in the moment. Sometimes the, usually the people who sit around me somehow have never heard it. They usually have a grin on their face too when I hear it. So yeah, I can really encourage that. Like just, yeah, use greetings in a way to insert a little bit of fun into your daily life. Personal stories um, are good as well. And so are, of course, misunderstandings. Um, some of my, one of my favorite parts of going abroad and and dabbling in another language is actually the kind of the kind of stuff that comes out of my mouth. Um, and I don't do it on purpose. Obviously, I want to be great. <laughs> but but sometimes you fail and you say something that's hilarious. And people are so afraid of that. And actually, everybody loves that. Everybody thinks it's hilarious. So yeah, misunderstandings are a great way um, to to come with uh, to to kind of find the everyday humor. Uh, personal stories about things that didn't exactly go well. Um, sometimes people at work push me and I have nothing left to say that sh- that wouldn't end in an angry exchange. Um, so I just sometimes selectively violate their expectations by by answering their latest email with a rhymed response or a rap or something like I've, I've done that recently where somebody was really kind of trying to convince me that I should join the project chat channel and I was like listen <laughs> what you talk about is 90% irrelevant to me I'm not gonna and then they're like well but you can only check in twice and I'm like do you understand that like what happens like the cost of interruptions and this person still didn't understand. They try to put pressure on me. They try to like take their boss in to make it more official. And and I just sent them back a uh, basically a rhymed answer. It was in German, so I can't really, I don't think I can bring it here. I don't have it here. But like basically it was a rhymed answer and a link to a blog post about the costs of interrupting people at work and, and how how much productivity we lose. Never heard a word again. And, and that's also something that, that humor can help break patterns, um, that they didn't know how to respond, right? Because they expected me to respond in a particular way. And this just put a nice end to everything. The next habit is finding humor in stressful situations. Now, actually, a lot of pr- when a lot of pressure has been built up, we yearn for more release and we might find things hilarious, which otherwise would just evoke a smile. And when people really, really annoy me and I'm not able to think positive or think nice things and I am pressured to complete things as fast as possible, I, for example, use humor in a different way. So I'll just put in Eminem or something like that and... R- 
imagine that everything that he's rapping, all his insults are directed at these other people. And I know it's childish, but you know what? Sometimes uh, there are times which call for that. Sometimes uh, other ways of handling it are not better. And uh, I think humor can be used in many different ways to to make stressful situations, to find a certain release in stressful situations. But ideally, of course, we can make it some kind of joke or or some kind of comment where everybody can laugh and everybody can release their attention at least a little bit. Not that long ago, I asked our Facebook group what they found funny, and here are a couple of things they shared. So Jürgen and Josie mentioned funny YouTube videos, such as, for example, Siri versus Alexa. I can recommend that one. Uh, Kim talked about creating stupid videos for special family occasions. That's one I love and I adore Kim and her family for putting in that much effort. Uh, I'm sure it's hilarious and it's something that people would probably love to watch years later as well. Heather and Batya both said their her dog's reactions um, made them laugh. So when the dog would like know basically like look at you and sprint at you like you've been away for years but you actually just went to to get some cookies or something um Karina uh Corina posted a funny meme and Isabel shared one of her most bizarre dreams which I also enjoyed a lot I love bizarre dreams and if you have them please uh, share them with me and us I love to hear it Alrighty, so this concludes our episode on humor. Uh, let's read a few reviews. You might remember that I challenged both Kiwis and the Irish, and well, both of them delivered, and today we'll hear from one of them. I love this app, from New Zealander living in Australia. Uh, it was left in iTunes by G Original from Australia. All right, so I discovered this podcast about two years ago from a recommend recommendation from another app. Kristen is so friendly and really open and intelligent. I love listening to her insights and incorporating them into my life. The Positive Psychology Podcast has helped me through a divorce, return to work, and helped me care and love my two children more deeply and connect with them. I feel my relationship with work colleagues and friends is more deeply based on honesty and open communication. My outlook has shifted um, enormously due to the suggestions and content that Kristen presents. Most importantly, I feel my relationship with myself, my soul, my inner strength is heightened. And I return to some episodes in difficult times um, to gain insight I require to move forward. Thank you for all the work you do, Georgina. Ah, Georgina, I've said it a few times, but it's no less true. I... I don't think I will ever get used to how happy it makes me to 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 feel, you know, how happy it makes me feel to hear from people like yourselves who take action and again and again and again and also have the perseverance. You know, I can't take it for granted that that you have stuck with me um even if it's sometimes um you know for 2 years. It's it's amazing in <laughs> this day and age when everything happens instantly every everywhere. Um Thank you so much for sticking with me and and for incorporating it um, in your own life. Uh, That's really the biggest compliment of all of them. So today I want to thank you all and take inspiration from Georgina and all the other folks who go out and do something with this knowledge. Please, please do something. Cheerio, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.